0: Welcome to Commune, a global wellness community and online course platform featuring some of the world's greatest teachers. We are on a mission to inspire, heal, pass down wisdom, and bring the world closer together. This is the Commune podcast, where each week we explore the ideas and practices that help us live this healthy, connected, and purpose-filled life. You can check out our courses, our community, and everything we do at 1.0. Commune.com. Now, many of you have taken a course on our Commune platform. In fact, since we launched in September 2018, 1.2 million people have registered for one of our programs. Now, we're still a long way from our lofty goal of 1 billion, but together we're moving in a positive direction. Today on the show, we pull back the curtain, break the fourth wall, and give you a little window into how we make the proverbial sausage and what it's like to work with the brilliant teachers who have influenced and helped so many of us. In this last year and a half, we've shot more than 400 hours of content, but for every hour that makes it on the platform, there are dozens more of just hanging out, taking hikes, eating fabulous dinners, and mulling over the mysteries of the universe. Now, over the holiday break, I was talking with Jake Laub, one of my fellow co-founders and our head of content, about how much we've both learned from teachers during these off-camera moments, the moments in between. And today on the podcast, we share a few of these behind-the-scene lessons that we've learned. since Jake is the one often asking teachers questions from behind the camera, he's agreed to take the role of interviewer for this episode. I just have to sit here, sip eggnog, and wax Poetic. And sometimes pathetic. Lucky me. I'm Jeff Krasno, and welcome to Kamiya.
1: Well, I guess the best place to start is by setting the scene a bit. And we film the majority of our courses in a place called Commune Topanga in the Santa Monica Mountains. And can you tell us a little bit about that property and why you felt it was important for Commune to have a physical location for us to produce our courses? Sure. Well, I think it goes back
0: to my wife, Skylar, who's, you know, hosted this podcast before and who's hosted a number of courses on on the platform. You know, she grew up on a Commune in Northern California with kooky, hippie parents. Um, some of it was highly functional, some of it was extremely dysfunctional. But, you know, we really gravitated to a lot of the better values um, of her upbringing and this notion of shared resources and shared responsibilities and to create sort of a gathering place for people to be, to engage in deep and real conversations. So it was a property that we were looking for for a long period of time. We've been together for 32 years, so we've kind of kept our eye out uh, over that time. And and the time uh, was right. Last September in 2018, right when we started um, Commune, an opportunity came up to buy Neil Young's old compound in Topanga. um, And it met sort of, a ridiculous list of criteria that we had for a physical gathering place and really we thought about it in three ways one we were we loved this idea of being able to host groups in retreat uh of course around wellness yoga mindfulness personal development um but really around the idea of being intentionally present with other people in real life offline. So the, the property really serves that that function. It also serves another function, um, which is it's a bit of a test laboratory for a whole variety of sustainability projects of which you know very well. Since you live in a yurt next to 14 beehives, um, there is a slow, but uh, determined effort to regenerate the soil with a biodynamic garden and a number of orchards. There's chickens, there's a composting uh, program. Um, There is the beginnings of uh, a gray water and water capture program. There are a number of compostable toilets on site that actually take your poop and it gets eaten up by microorganisms and turned into fertilizer that we can use in the gardens. Uh, it's uh, almost completely powered by solar now. So it's a lab for uh, sustainability, and the goal is eventually to show that it is actually possible to live in harmony uh, with nature and, and hopefully regeneratively with nature. And then, of course, the third purpose of the property, which you know intimately, and I do too, is the creation of content, these transformational courses that appear on our course platform featuring all of these amazing teachers. And while it would have been way easier just to say, hey, Wim Hof, Danielle Laporte, Deepak Chopra, Mark Hyman, Marianne Williamson, Russell Brand, stay at the Lowe's and meet us at 10 a.m. at a production studio in Hollywood. And, you know, here's your craft services and we'll do the best to get the best vegan food. Um... I think for us, the dream was bigger than that and that we could actually cultivate content in a way that was way, way different by having our own physical place where we could immerse with these teachers and that these teachers, though they might need a little bit of convincing on the front end to come and stay at a place called commune where there's chickens and bees, um, That once they got there, we could create an environment with incredible dinners, masterminds, amazing community, other teachers that would set the table for creating great courses. And we, um, and you particularly, live with these teachers over a period of time and the relationships that get formed kind of in the spaces, not on set but at dinner or on hikes um, or kind of weeding the garden or whatever we're doing, this is where kind of the magic happens and we've built so many beautiful and wonderful relationships and have set the table for a lot of real creativity.
1: Yeah, there's something really magical. The teacher arrives and then it's not just a sit down in the chair and start talking into a camera. There's a meal shared. There's, as you said, that unstructured time where an idea sometimes comes up and takes a course in a different direction or adds something to a course that would never have been discovered if we had just been sticking to the plan.
0: Yeah, and the and the also the talents, um, the the subterranean talents of a lot of these teachers come out, whether they might be singers. While I'm kind of strumming a guitar playing on the playing the piano or whether they show a specific keen interest in the kitchen and what's going on there it's a window uh into their life and the history of their experiences that one would never otherwise get
1: yeah i mean i remember jason robel we were just sitting around after filming for a full day and he picked up one of your guitars off the wall and just started strumming and and an hour later, we had written a theme song for his course, mm. kind of magically appeared. Um, I happen to have the tape queued up here, so might as well take a listen to Good Mood Food by yeah. Jason Robell. All right. If you're feeling kind of cranky,
0: feeling kind of blue, what you need, baby, is some good mood foods, Yeah. Frustrated, don't be a quitter. Just eat the right things for your neurotransmitters. Yeah. Eating cacao and eating all your goji. Gonna make you look like a happy faced emoji.
1: Camp and chia and dark leafy greens. Yeah, you'll feel better
0: and I'll give you the means. Oh them good mood foods oh yeah come on with me and try some good mood food yeah Yeah, he's amazing jason also sang a christmas medley at um at our christmas party this year which was also uh here in topanga
1: yeah so that sort of spontaneity actually brings me to another concept i wanted to talk with you about because I often find myself talking with people about there being two different types of teachers, and part of my job producing courses is feeling out which direction to go with a teacher. Um, I tend to term them channelers versus technicians or planners. Can you explain? I know know you share some of this thought pattern with me.
0: Yeah, I, I first really thought about this when I was playing music and, and much more involved in the music industry, to tell you the truth, um, that there were kind of two different kinds of sort of virtuoso musicians. There were the channelers, as you say, um, and then the music that was more coming from within. And oftentimes it was in music was indicated by facial expression. I always think of kind of Derek Trucks, who's this incredible slide blues guitar player. I mean, completely sublime. And his face is like emotionless, expressionless. I mean, he is truly a conduit for the light, for beauty, for the true form, for God, whatever you want to call it. It is coming through him, and he has cultivated the sort of the ability to be that conduit. Um, and, And then, you know, there are the... Players that are way, way more emotive and full of expression, and you kind of get this feeling that the music is all coming from inside of them, pent up in a way, and um, a- and that is a gross generalization. And there's balances and, and mixes between the two.
1: Well, yeah, I went I went back in my notes, and just to give you an example, Doctor Hyman's course. He wrote thirty one thousand words of script for his course, mm-hmm. which as you know, he read in one day, filmed his entire course in one day. It was unbelievable. So that's an incredible technician. And when he, he definitely was in a flow state reading that script, but he had, it was a technical performance. It's like watching people on teleprompter who are really good. Danielle Laporte's another one who's amazing on teleprompter where you can't even tell that she's reading off the, the prompter.
0: Um, yeah, I mean what I think you know we've referred to this idea of a technical well and a spiritual well that um like a great athlete or um a great musician that you can build up the technical well over years and years of practice kind of knowing your work inside and out and then when you step up to perform. That's what it is. It's not a recitation. It's inspired performance where you really are supposed to, in some ways, forget the technical well and then just draw from the spiritual well, the inspirational well, because you
1: know your material that well. (laughs) I mean, Marianne Williamson didn't even want to talk about what she was going to talk about. Yes. She was like, just start me off and then... I'll channel and I'll go. And that's exactly what happened for three days. I would, I had a list of, of prompts, but w- sometimes it would be a prompt and then two hours later, she would wind down after a series of inspired um, classes.
0: Yeah, well, this was even the way that she announced the candidacy of her presidential campaign that we filmed up in Topanga in the kitchen. Um, this was not prompted. This was pure inspiration. And she came in. She had a sense for what she wanted to say, but she had utter confidence in her ability to deliver it and just flick that switch into the spiritual well, and she did.
1: Yeah, and one of the ultimate examples of this, which was another incredible course recitation that combined technique and inspiration was Deepak Chopra, which we learned about we were talking oh let's film this six months from now nine months from now and then i remember you got a text message that said can we be in monterey tomorrow night which was 300 miles away um and we packed up the car and drove up there and we set up all our gear and he comes in and we think we're filming a course on um his latest book the healing self and he kind of looks around and he picks up another one of his books off the table and says, I think I want to teach a course on this book, The Spontaneous Fulfillment of Desire, which was 10, 15 years old. Mm. Um, and then he sits down and delivers a course.
0: Yeah. Well, Deepak is probably the ultimate example of someone who has uh, a quite a profoundly deep technical well. And, um, you know, you can't just walk into delivering a course on the objective nature of reality and fundamental nature of reality, um, without having a truly deep understanding of what you're talking about. And clearly if anyone does, he does.
1: Yeah. That course that, that was wild. And there's always this feeling when you step into the space of production that small changes have big impacts. Um, And I think we feel that even when we're setting up these courses, I know there was a few moments this year where it felt like a small shift in the wind shifted Mm -hmm. the ability for us to produce a course. You want to talk a little bit about Byron Katie? Yeah. I mean, there were,
0: there are honestly many, um, courses and teachers that we've cultivated relationships with, um, that honestly just could have gone either way because oftentimes uh, life is whimsical such, uh, in in such a way. And with Byron Katie, I mean, she and I had developed a, quite a beautiful relationship um, and I would co- go up to Ojai and, and visit her, you know, fairly regularly, way before we even decided uh, to consider a course. Um, of course though, we were very, I was very interested in that. And so, we had made a plan, you and I, to go up and meet her. She every, the first Thursday of every month she has a, a church there in town, and at that church she delivers, uh, she facilitates the work publicly and, and for free, and you can just go um, and be a witness, or if you're brave enough, um, have the work facilitated on you by Byron Katie in front of quite a few people. Um, so we went, we went to one of the sessions of the work. Um, And then after, after the session finished, of course, there's like every single person wants to talk to her. So there's this big long line and, you know, we made plans to go out for lunch, Um, but we're, you know, being patient and, um, and polite and letting everyone kind of have their chance to meet with her. And that's kind of going on and on for some time and, you know, (laughs) we're talking and, I guess, getting distracted in some ways because it went on for so long. And all of a sudden we look around and she's gone. And um, and I, we have no idea where she went. And evidently she slipped out a door in the back of the church. We sort of felt like she was going to have to come back through the front door. So we ran around the church to the other side and there she was in her Tesla pulling away. And we had to give sort of, quick chase to it and knock on the window and you know there she was and looked looked at us and of course then the light bulb went back on in, in her head of like oh yeah of course we were supposed to meet for lunch but she was just seconds away from pulling away and going back home and who knows when we would have had the opportunity to meet with up with her again and as it happened we all had lunch at this great little place called the nest and um and we made a plan and and
1: we executed on it so it was just uh just quite lucky spending so much time with these teachers at meals etc um what are some of the teachings that maybe have been slipped to you on a napkin or just casually that stuck with you this year
0: yeah god i mean there's so many i often you know talk about it on this podcast and in other places that i'm essentially just a sponge kind of absorbing all of the wisdom of all of these incredible heroes, teachers, thought leaders um and in some ways kind of plagiarize them all until the thoughts become synthesized into my own um but certainly with byron Katie, I mean you know she um she's had so many kernels of wisdom, but um where where she talks about enlightenment. Um, there's one little passage that I remember very, very well from meeting with her in Ojai. When I ask her, um, what is enlightenment? And uh, she loves silence and space. So when you ask her a question, you need to be very, very patient um, and not try to fill the air with too many words, um, which is against our sort of Western instinct but uh, very common in Japan, actually. Um, And so after sitting there for what seemed like to be an interminable amount of time, she asked me, uh, well, Jeff, you know, what makes you feel light? And I think about it and I say, well, you know, when I'm, you know, in conversation with someone, when there's something really, really interesting or, you know, when I'm playing tennis or moving or when I'm meditating or when I... Um, when I'm spending time, you know, really presently with my children. And she's like, okay, well, what makes you feel heavy? And, you know, my answer was like quite literal on some levels, It's like, well, when I overeat, but also kind of when I'm angry or when I hold resentment, um, when I'm disconnected. And, you know, then she paused again and she's like, well, you know, it's so easy, Jeff, you know, you don't have to be Jesus or the Buddha really enlightenment is just doing the things that make you feel light. And <laughs> you know, it's just a light bulb, you know, it just went off over my head and I'm like, oh my God, it's just so simple sometimes. Um, and so, you know, that's certainly one that I've um that I've taken with me. Um I think, you know, both Deepak and Russell have had very significant, um, impacts on how I think about the world, um, how I understand reality. Um, I think, you know, the first notions of that kind of delineation between objective and subjective realities really first came about when I was interviewing Deepak. Um, and that notion that we are limited by the ability of our five senses uh, to interpret and experience the world. And, you know, he asked me, he's like, what does a world look like to a painted lady butterfly that has 30,000 lenses? I mean, really, what does it look like? Like, we have no idea. You know, we see on a color spectrum of red, blue, and green, and we look out and we can kind of all agree through some sort of intersubjective reality that those leaves are green and that house is brown. Um, But that is only a user interface for us based on our sensory abilities to experience that phenomena, and there is a fundamental objective reality behind that user interface there is a circuit board behind the icons on the desktop. And that was a pretty profound um, notion that then I've unpacked over and over and over again. Um, <clears throat> I think, you know, Russell, uh, just because of his experience as an addict, um, has really opened my eyes to the habits and addictive patterns that we all subconsciously wind up in ourselves Um, and that, you know, addiction obviously is very associated with drugs and alcohol and those can be very debilitating. But as he says, it's sometimes great if it's the crack because at least you know it's the crack. You know, I think where it becomes difficult is with all of these insidious forms of addiction that we all have, you know, technology, being liked, sugar, gambling, pornography. Whatever it happens to be, we have wound up patterns. We all have a program. We are programmed. And it is about cultivating the awareness and the consciousness of our programming, unwinding those patterns to cultivate our real selves, as he says, the people that we were born to be. Um, And that has really illuminated... Uh, process in myself of looking more critically at myself of like, what are my patterns? What are my addictions? Um, And how do I unwind those patterns that don't serve me and wind up new patterns that are more conscious, more loving, more empathetic, more compassionate? Um, So these are just a handful of the learnings.
1: Yeah. And I knew I was going to ask you this question. So I was thinking through my own list and certainly there's very specific practical things some of them that don't even have anything to do with the course dr jolene brighton who's teaching a course this coming year on um, women's hormones taught me that we need to feed oyster shells to the chickens because (laughs) you know they go through so much calcium i think it's something like 20 times the amount of calcium that's in their bones they will put into eggs over the course of the year, and so you have to replenish that. Otherwise, some pretty um, uncomfortable things happens to the chickens. So these conversations can be very wide-ranging and informative. But a lot of it is my visceral experiences with these teachers in close proximity. I mean, Wim Hof lived with us on property, his whole family, for two weeks. Mm. And even more than the wisdom that came out of his mouth was the energy that he brought to what he did. I mean, he just had a love of life and a, at the same time a stoicism that infused, I mean, I, I now practice quite a lot of Wim Hof in our cold plunge that we have on property, but he just he just did it. He didn't think twice about something. He mm-hmm. just went fully into it.
0: Yeah, I also like admire his tireless ability to sort of reclaim the message over and over again. I sat there, as you did, for two straight weeks, having virtually every meal of the day with him. And at every single one of those meals, he would tell me about the method with the same vim and vigor in the same gregarious and garrulous and loquacious way, you know, like, you get you you do the breath and you get into the ice bath and that affects the autonomic nervous system, the immune system, the endocrine system, the vascular system, which is the number one cause of death in, in epidemics all over the world. You can reduce inflammation and reconnect to the soul. I mean, <laughs> it's like you could just I can jump back into it because it's imprinted in my brain from the. Uh, from the 70-some-odd meals that we had with him. So, you know, I I feel like, you know, one of the remarkable things about many of these teachers, especially ones that have been around, the old guard, is that like a musician or a politician, they have their message and they've got to stick to it and be excited about giving it. Non-stop, 365 days a year, you know, uh, in speaking engagements, in courses, on podcasts. I mean, it really does take an incredible amount of endurance and commitment to the vision to be that excited about saying it and doing it and not getting bored and really sticking with it.
1: Yeah, and it's it's the message, but it's also the life that they live around the message, which has been really interesting to see. An example I tell people all the time is we went, um, in this case, we did go to Oregon to film with Brendan Burchard. And it was a little bit sticky getting all the logistics. He's a very, very busy guy. But then when we got there, he had blocked off those three days. I think I saw him take one business call. over those three days and because that's his philosophy that's what he teaches he teaches you you know you transition into an activity and you focus fully on it you block the time and he didn't have to do that for us but he lives his message that way and it was very powerful to be in that space with him
0: yeah this this notion of um what do you call it when you can do two or three or four things the same multitasking right see i can't even do monotasking um it, it's just a foreign concept we can't really do it we toggle you know and we become expert togglers and yeah no i remember that trip well because it was my birthday and even after filming the whole course for a number of days i remember it was sunset over the columbia river and i said hey do you still have enough energy to do a podcast and we sat up upstairs in a guest bedroom looking out over the sunset and had a beautiful beautiful conversation and like you said he was utterly present the whole time and uh and he he's a truly remarkable guy insofar that he practices what he preaches and that's hard because you may have a tremendous message but it's hard to keep yourself and russell talks about that all the time like He's brilliant at advising and counseling and mentoring people that have problems. But when it comes to himself, you know, then it becomes a lot harder when the rubber hits the road
1: in your own life. Um, and, but Brenda does a fantastic job with that. And just to bring this full circle, I think that is one of the things we've seen about bringing teachers to Commune Topanga that there is this space there that is created where they drop in and then they're able to tap into their original passion Mm -hmm. and deliver that to um, our commune students in courses.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, there is, I mean, this is an overused word, um, but in this case it's apt and valid, is that there is an authenticity to what we do. And when I use that word, um, I use it, In the way of really aligning our works and actions with our highest principles, regardless of any external circumstances, that to me has become to define the authentic life, the life with integrity. And I think when people come to Topanga, they see and they feel that you know they see that you live there in the (laughs) yurt, that scarlet who manages all of the events there is making soap you know and um that we're eating the eggs that come from the chickens that we're what we don't eat goes right back in to feed those chickens and that we're trying to grow our own food that we have a true commitment to um to living the values of the mindful life of this life that we're preaching Um, and I think people
1: really feel and sense that,
0: and that has led to a lot of beautiful relationships.
1: Well, let's hope this year has filled with many more beautiful relationships and, um, great teachers. Yes. Just keep making the
0: commune honey. (laughs) (laughs) I'll bring you another jar. Sounds good. Thanks, Jake. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with my good friend, Jake. This episode was actually recorded on Christmas day. My wife, Skylar has this draconian gift opening program that has generationally passed down in her family. In essence, my kids can only open four presents every two hours. This has the effect of dragging out the excitement of gift consumption. You can only imagine the protestations. So, in one of our breaks, Jake and I absconded to the pod cabin with some eggnog for this little chat. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I highly encourage you to check out some of our courses that we talked about on onecommune.com. And I'll leave you with one question of my own today. What have you learned from the Commune podcast? Let me know and give us a review or send me an email at jeffk at onecommune.com. Of course, the best place to share wisdom is face-to-face, so I hope you pass along what you've learned to friends and family at the dinner table, in the car, or after a nice long walk. I'm Jeff Krasno, and thanks for listening.